Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your love and we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. And God, we just uh, ask you to <clears throat> be with us and be our encouragement. And I just pray you open our heart to what you say, open our heart to your word. And God, I pray you just anoint me. I'd speak the words of the Spirit. And I pray each heart would be open. So Lord, we gather together to worship you. Look into your word and thank you for the truth that you reveal to us. And so we praise your holy name in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Our turn this morning will be in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. Now we'll stay right around there. So if you open up there, we'll have the overheads for you too. But we'll spend time here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14 through 15. It reads like this. And we urge you, brothers, ad admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, uh, I've talked about this before in the... the history of the book and as you well know we all believe that the bible is the inspired word of god it's god breathed and we take it is directly from him and it's his truth that he has given us and and so we treat it that way and with that but sometimes it helps you know when we he sent these he, he had uh, the different prophets and apostles to write these letters but he and when he did so there was a purpose of what he was talking to specific people about. And sometimes it helps us to understand what God meant, mean, and what he's trying to get across if we understand who he wrote to and why. So sometimes it's just a helpful thing. And I've gone over this before, but being true to form, I will repeat it. <laughs> so here you have the, the uh, book of Thessalonians. It's a city, and it was, it was one of the early cities the Apostle Paul went to. And he spent very little time there, all right? Then he was ran out of town like that. So what happened, which is important, he left a group of people there that, like, you know, just had a very short exposure to Christ, and then he had to leave, you know? So you have these new believers that are truly pagan in every way. There's no concept of Christianity, nothing. You know, we have, even non-believers here in the United States, we have a concept. Christian they had nothing they absolutely had nothing they were you know somewhat familiar with the Jewish people but the Jewish people are the ones that ran the Apostle Paul out of town out of Thessalonica and so the point is you got these people that don't know anything and so Paul said I gotta write them a letter they got questions so I'm gonna write them a letter so he's writing a letter to people that really that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ they trusted him. They're in the kingdom. They know they're saved. They know they're forgiven. And a few things. But they have lots of questions. So thus this letter. It's not real long, but this, that, thus this letter. And so what he's told them so far in this letter is that, you know, he basically said, oh, man, you're the greatest things in the world. You are chosen. You've come to know the Lord. No, it's not act. He has chosen. He's present. He loves you. And then he talks to him. 
talks to them about the rapture of the saints at the end of time, talks about Jesus coming back. And so he's explaining, you can imagine they're saying, what? You know, and so he's explaining these things to them. And then when he finishes that, then he makes an explanation. He said, now you really, you got to, you know, there's the, you have to show the elders some respect here. These are your leaders. You need to show the respect here because, you know, they're, they're the ones over the church, you know, like that. So he's giving them you know, a, a view of just how to function as a body. And he's not there, okay? He, he's not there. Well, so then right after what you have when he says, you know, pay attention to the elders and these are leading the church and these are your people and they're serving me. and you know, So now he comes up with this, okay? Now remember who's there. I mean, he's telling us, you guys, I'm going to try and help you kind of keep your act together. <laughs> so so this is real, real practical. But again, they've had all the theology. They accepted Christ and they're learning the spiritual things. He said, now, as you kind of work this out, you're going to have to make some decisions here. That's this. So it falls in context here. And so we want to look at these verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14-15 to these people. But it's also to us. It applies to us. So he tells them, he tells them here the first thing, and we're going to go through these verses. He goes, I urge you brothers. Now, what, that's important. Who's he talking to, you know? The church. It's the brothers in the church. He, I, I urge you brothers. And so it's also, now remember just before that, he talked about the role of elders, okay? But here he says, you brothers. He's, he's talking to everybody. He's not just talking to elders. He's talking to the brothers, so he's talking to Hocher. Okay, brothers, which is, you know, relational. Okay. He says, I urge you, brothers. And so he's addressing the whole church because the whole church is going to have to deal with these practical situations. The whole church. And the practical situation is just some um, brothers and sisters in Christ that just get in error error i know you can't imagine anybody within the church kind of getting error and just kind of go off on their own thing but they had a few here and he said listen you're going to have to deal with this and so this is what this is about he's he's adding this on with all they know he says this is going to how you can walk through this so in context okay he's already shared all these other things so the first thing he says to these folks he says you have to admonish the idol, idol, like not working, <laughs> folks not working. You have to admonish the idol. Now, I always <laughs> humble myself, you know, before, you know, people who have studied the word and the way the word is written, and, you know, I put that first. But every once in a while when you look into it, and as we know, the Bible, especially the New Testament, is written in Greek. Greek is a very specific language specific language and and sometimes it's hard to find an english word attached you know to the greek word well this one here i think is a big one and is admonish the idol and when you look at it i mean we can just take it face up admonish the idol not work and get going you know my father would admonish the idol and they could record nothing in scripture that he said <laughs> nothing but you were definitely admonished and you knew it. it wasn't a question you know but 
what this is saying here, and I, I want us to look at this as we think, because he's talking to the church and the believers, and again, they're coming out of pagan societies, and he's really speaking truth to him, them here. And admonish, and the word means, and you've heard me say this before, but it's important, admonish means to put into one's mind. Now, it does like admonish, like kind of a rebuke or, you know, something, you know, get going to, but the basis of the word is to put in someone's mind. And I think it's really important here because he's talking to these people. They don't know what's, you know, they're misled here. Put this into their mind because they don't know. They don't know. Okay? So that's a little helpful. Okay? Put something in their mind because they really don't know. And then this word, idle. Okay. I just... I don't even know why they translated it idle. <laughs> That's me, you know. Good. But the word idle here is a military term. It's military, you know. And, it, and the meaning is insubordinate. I mean, to me, that's a little more than idle. I mean, you're insubordinate. And so it has a strong. Now, the NIV, like I said, and I love the NIV because what the NIV, because of the Greek language, they don't have word for word. A lot of times they'll put the thought. So you catch the thought because they don't have a single word. I mean, it's good. And they'll make notes. This is what we're doing. The NIV translates this. And I think it's very appropriate. And it translates this word idle. Idle and disruptive. Idle and disruptive. Now, you put a whole different twist to idle when you add and disruptive. But that's what it means. The word means you're idle, but you're causing issues by being idle, okay? Now, so when you look at this, it means this is characteristic of someone who sets themselves outside the necessary given order. Insubordinate. Insubordinate. Now, so this is this word, idle. You've got to tie disruptive to it. They're not just not working. They're disruptive now the the verse in in second we'll be getting there in next month or so in second thessalonians three eleven, it uses this same word and it captures the true meaning same word now but it captures the true meaning of this word idle who you're dealing with and it says in second second thessalonians three eleven. For we hear that they are some among you who walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. There you go. They're disrupting. It's just not they're not working. You know, they're busy bodies. You know, not, I just can't imagine the church having busy bodies. (laughs) Just not us, ever. But you see the meaning, but I want to make the point. When it says, put in their mind, but these people, it's, it's their, they're causing issues. They're disruptive. They're stepping out beyond what the church is trying to function. And it says, you have to speak to them, put something in their mind. They walk in idleness, not busy, but busy bodies. Now, back to First Thessalonians. First book of Thessalonians, previously in chapter three, in chapter four, First Thessalonians chapter four, it cap, it tells us what we put into mind of the ones that are 
idle and disruptive. So it helps us out here. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Tell them to aspire to live quietly. <laughs> and to remind, and for them to mind their own affairs. And to work with their hands as we instructed them. See, here you kind of see where the church, when it moves in and you trust Christ and he speaks to you, it's a societal adjustment to the people. They, they're not, first of all, you think, the busybodies are not working. They've got a lot of issues. Well, you accepted Christ. Now your whole view, we're all brothers and sisters. Now we have to move in some understanding here. And some of them are not going to do it. And we need to put it in their mind. This is how the church functions. Amen? See, so it's important to do that, and important to do it in the right way. It's coming on here. Now, also, a caution here, a caution, especially if someone in the body, you know, they come up and they say, and they say you know, I want a name tag, a monisher. You know, it's like, no, we, we don't want, don't do that. I mean, that's not, you're missing the point. That's not what we're talking about here. So, you know, but if you've been in church long enough, you will see some loving believer that thinks that they are the admonisher and are more than happy to put into your mind. <laughs> okay, God's not talking about that. You know, and it, it's what it says. We have to look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in yours? Okay, little self-examination before we take on the calling of a monster. All right. Are you everybody with me? Okay, so it's like, but what he is, he's trying to put some order in the situation so they can fun function. Now, uh, and I, I'm spending a little time on this because it sounds harsh and it's not meant to be, but I want us to be aware. Yes, it's something to be done, but something to be in love. We need to understand it. We want everyone to walk in freedom and not under the judgment of self-appointed admonishers. We don't. Won't tell you know. Now I'm going to tell you something. As pastor, two rules that I use for myself, like sometimes you just say, you, I mean, we disciple each other, we talk, we grow together, look at the scriptures together, and just do that naturally. But there's a couple of times when you go, I'm really going to have to tap this individual on the shoulder. We're going to have to go out for a cup of coffee. We're going to have to talk to them. And so there's two things that I use for myself when I know you got to do this. you got to do this. Other than somebody from the congregation, you got to do this. No, this is on my own, you know, where I know to do this. Now, there's two things, and I think this, this is helpful in identifying something that people that really need to be admonished. And here's a term that early on in the church we used a, a lot. We really used a lot. Have new people coming in, ideas and different things. And that's fine. That's fine. And we want a lot of freedom and interaction in Christ and stuff like that. But we had, hey, we're interested in walking with you, but there's one thing we don't want you to do. We don't want you to rearrange our furniture. Furniture is a metaphor. We'd say, yeah, that's a great idea, but we come in, we don't... You can't 
change all the chairs in the sanctuary. You need to talk to somebody. See, you got to put that in the mind. You cannot change the chairs in the sanctuary. You know, we need to talk to somebody. So that's one thing. They have ideas, but are they moving your furniture? Now, if they, you have somebody come over to your house, and, you know, not everybody thinks the way you do, but you have friends, you have a meal, and they're giving your views, whatever, and so you're having a good time, and they can say whatever. And so we get along. We just we get, we get along. And it's no issue. We learn to do that, all right? Or we should learn to do that. But if they come over, and they come into your house, and they move your furniture, and it says, you know, this looks better here. And you put it over there. You go, really appreciate you, really appreciate your thought. Don't move my furniture. See, you need to step up and put that into their mind. So just use that. When people, hey, we're hoping one time, but don't rearrange our furniture. Now, to me, that's a rule. I mean, I can go a long ways until you move the furniture. And then I have to step up. You know, I have to. Y'all with me? That's a good rule. The next one is, and this has been real helpful, because as you notice, we're not all perfect. You know, we're just not perfect. And people come in, and you know, people come in, they're not perfect either. And sometimes they have ideas and about anything. And, you know, we try to walk, learn, look at the scriptures, learn and understand. And it's just, we just go with them and, grow together, study together, and like that. But there's a point when a person has a view, and then they have, have a view that is really kind of off from what we think biblical is. And not only they have it, but they start influencing other people. Influence, that's the key. Have your view, we'll walk with you. But as soon as you bring it to influence others, to bring into their camp, you say, whoa, I see the influence going on. You're not, you just don't have an opinion. You're gathering a following. Or not necessarily a following, but doing damage to other people. They're being hurt. They're being influenced. And so it's a negative way. And so then it's like the key word there, key word there, is influence. Otherwise, with those two points, I'm, I can go a long way. <laughs> I mean, we'll just work. All right, we're all in this together, and we're. But those two things for me, it's like okay, I have to step up and deal with that. And I think it's a good one for you as the body too, because it affects everybody. And I have had people come up. Well, it's <laughs> you need this is causing some issues. Okay. You know, and so I, I take that. But anyway, good points. Are they rearranging furniture? Are they trying to get influence? It's like, that's happening. Probably should say in love and kindness, but it's like, no, you kind of need to get kind of on board with who we are here. And you have a good explanation line. All right? Good. Admonish the idle and disruptive that move your furniture <laughs> in your house. No, I can't. Okay, now here's the other one. They come and he's talking to these folks so they understand what's going on. It says, encourage the faint-hearted. Well, you can imagine they come to know the Lord. They're saved going to heaven. And they're really having kind of a hard time living the Christian life because they just know they're going to heaven. 
they're forgiven, they're going to heaven. That's all they know, which is a good thing, but sometimes you have lots of questions. Well, what it says here, encourage the faint-hearted. Now, encourage here, it means like console, and I thought this was really fa- console and stimulate to action. See, the faint-hearted. Well, you console, but don't just console, you stimulate to action. You know, just consoling sometimes doesn't help people. This life. You console, but you stimulate them to action. Now, okay, well, the faint-hearted, and this word is fascinating. Faint-hearted means, and this is literally what it means, and this is where you get the Greek, what it literally means. It means small-souled. Like soul, it means to have a small soul. And, and so and it's faint-hearted, which is a good translation, but what is the soul? The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. That's what makes us up, and that's theologically correct. Anybody tell you that your soul is your mind, will, and emotion that makes up who you are? Well, these people are small-souled, and so what that means, what that means it has to do with their mind, will, and emotion. Therefore, a small soul, they have a mind that wavers. A small soul. Mind, it, it wavers. It's not steadfast. It doesn't look and process information. It just wavers. has a hard time making a decision. Will, that means they don't have a strong will. They don't have perseverance. They don't finish. They don't finish. start off, but they don't finish. They don't persevere. They have a small soul. So wavering in their mind, they don't persevere. And they have emotions, which is a good thing, but they have emotions which overwhelm and paralyze. <laughs> oh, I, can't, I can't do this. Why? I can't, it's over. See, the emotions overwhelm paralyzed well what you do with that is that you step up they're overwhelmed and there you have a lesson of where you get your stability and strength through Christ so the faint hearted you encourage them and stimulate them so they can make a decision have the will to persevere and not be Overwhelmed by the emotion because the focus is on Christ. That's the strength. And so you can see how this put. And I wrote a statement here. The faint-hearted we console, the faint-hearted we console and stimulate them into action in mind, will, and emotions by giving everything to Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's a spiritual, and the church does that. They're coming around and helping people. Amen. So that's what he's talking about here, and they don't know that. Now, the next one says help the weak. Now, again, the word help, and it help means help, but it's more, it's stronger than our help. It means cleave and hold firmly to, firmly to. Cleave and hold firmly onto a person. And the weak here is spiritually, not physically weak or anything. The weak here is spiritually weak. And like... <laughs> You're helping somebody spiritually. Like someone comes to know the Lord Jesus, they're forgiven, filled with the Spirit, you know, excited about Christ, and they come up to you, and they are determined to be a missionary to North Korea. 
And he goes, brother, we are so excited. We love Jesus, you know. Let me put my arm around you and cleave to you. <laughs> yes, but North Korea is not the place you really want to go. You know, I mean, yes, they need Jesus. Let's let the church gather around you and let's see him teach you a few things before you fulfill your calling to North Korea. Because that's going to be a short-lived ministry. I mean, the poor, I mean, the guy, he'll meet Jesus way before he is thinking. You know, I mean, it's, it's not happening. That's not going to work. It's just not going to work. But he doesn't know. Hey, you can do all things through Christ. I'm going to North Korea. Well, there's a caveat with all things. <laughs> you know, there's a few. What Jesus can do? Yes, he can, but there's a walking through. There's a growth process, you know, you, and you need to have the support of the church. And you need to grow in Christ and see so you help the weak. And he says, hold firmly. Because you lay him loose, he's going to North Korea. You know, so you hold to him. Don't let him, you know, beat him to the airport. You can't do that. <laughs> okay. Now you see what I'm saying? So help. But that's what that means. I came to know Christ, but there's a growth process, and God will speak to us. Now, and, but most of the time, now make a point, most of the time when this word is used in weak, it's used in connection with Christian freedom, you know? You know, it's like, well, if you're weak, Christian freedom, I can do anything. Well, you know, you need to follow what the Lord, but you said I could do anything. Well, no, you are free to do anything, but like the Apostle Paul said, not everything's beneficial, <laughs> you know, let's grow in it. And the other way it's used is legalism. And that it's called weak. You get tied up into the law, which quenches the spirit, and there's, kills your walk. And so we have a solution that I won't go into. We, you know, we cleave to them, speak to them, and we teach them, about the little red wagon. See, the little red wagon answers all of that. Now, you all have to go to another message to know what that means. But it does touch this. How do you walk in the power of Christ? And, you how, and how do you walk in freedom? All right? So help the weak. You, they need the little red wagon. Now, now it goes on. Now, it finishes this. says, be patient with them all be patient now patient means i love this i don't know if i ever saw this before it means long tempered <laughs> like don't lose it <laughs> long tempered long suffering don't lose your temper and it's it's i know it's hard to believe but dealing with the idle the timid and the weak requires patience because often they refuse to respond to constructive criticism. <laughs> you know, you advise us, don't move the furniture. Who are you to tell me not to move the furniture? Well, let's talk about that. You know, or, or you know, it's like, you know, help the weak. You can't stop me from going to North Korea. No, but let's talk about that. Talk about that. And so the admonish you know someone becomes a self-proclaimed admonisher you know you come through the door and it's like okay we'll find something to admonish you about you know it's like okay you don't do that see you got patience 
long-suffering. Don't lose your temper. So, and um, great verse, you know, it's like we're to love one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love one another. Love is patient and kind. All right. See, you see where it's all coming in. It's all coming in. Patient and kind. And it means caring about people and walking people through things for their benefit. Everybody is for their benefit. And everybody comes in, they're all over the map. They're all over the map. Now, the next thing, now again, it's what's interesting when I look at this. This is how the Lord put this series together. Okay, they rolls it out and puts it together, and there's a reason he does it. Now he comes up and he says this. You've got this. Now, now he pulls it all together and says this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. So you get it to be patient. Don't repay evil for evil. Now, can you see this? This is me. I don't want to put this on you. Well, I have told you everything I know. I've given you all my insight. And you have agreed to nothing You've irritated the daylights out of me, and I tell you what, I'm going to let everybody know about it. <laughs> See? Well, they did evil. I'm going to do it back. I'm going to do it back. No, I would be more subtle. Just to protect you in this difficult, let me tell you what an irritation this guy is, so I want to protect you. See, it's evil. You're praying evil for evil. And it's, it can be really subtle. Subtle. Now, What's interesting to hear, and the NIV does a better job here too, it doesn't use evil, <clears throat> it uses wrong. And I think that's a better word because wrong includes a whole, and this is talking about a whole group of behavior. It's a whole group of it being wrong. I mean, evil, you think of the devil or something. No, it could be, but that's not something. You're talking about a whole group or wrongs that people do to each other, which is infinite, okay? So when you have a wrong done to you, don't do the wrong back to them. And that's what, and that's what the Lord is saying here. Now, I can, what I want to do with this one, and I really think this is very, very helpful when we look at this in the interaction with people and to understand. By the way, we're talking about God moving among his people and we're cooperating with God. We're not just thinking up things to do. We do this because God is telling us to do, and this is how you do it, and in context of the entire scripture. But what I want to look at, and I think this gives an expanded view, and it really is very insightful, and it brings, helps us bring to understand what God is doing in these conversations among us, all right? So I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, Verses 17 through 19. Now we look at the Apostle Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians. He also wrote Romans. I mean, so all these things, that's the reason I read, love to read them together because they all complement. Awful dangerous to pick a verse and just, you know, attack because that's not how the God. God has given us whole understanding of his word as we take it all together. That's the reason we study it. Well, here we have, to me... <laughs> An expanding of do not repay evil with evil. 
So I'm just going to read it through, and then I'm going to go back through verse by verse. Now, the reason I'm taking time with this is that this is for each one of us to deal with our situations in the body and to have, you know, what we're promoting love, encouragement, and that we can be able to function in a healthy way. That, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to be able to leave these people with. So here we look at Romans 12, verses 17 through 19. I'll read through it, and then I'll go through the verses. Here we go. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying nothing different here than you say in 1 Thessalonians. You know, I mean, he wrote both up. He didn't think something. Well, I'd have thought about this. It was in an addendum. That's not what he's doing. So it's complimentary. So we look at this, and it's very insightful. And I'm going to confess to myself a later on. And it helps me to understand more, to walk in a way that the Lord wants me to walk, where I understand more of what's going on. Now, the first thing he says here. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Somebody says, evil, your response is do what's honorable in the sight of all. Because you're a witness to everybody around you. You do the honorable thing. I put it, you know, like, don't hit back. That's what he's saying. Don't hit back. Or what Jesus said when he hits you on the cheek, turn another. That's what he's saying. Think about what doing the honorable. Doing the honorable. And so we're doing that because of our relationship with the Lord and his protection over us. Over us. The next, now the next one is really, really important. Right? If possible, now I want you to, I'm going to be a little elementary here for, if possible, would you repeat that after me? What does that mean? Okay, I just, you got, if possible. This is a command. If possible. <laughs> yeah. Okay, huge. If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Repeat that. If possible, what? I, you hear? Huge. Huge. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Like the kids. Why'd you hit him? Hit me first. See? Well, if po- you didn't have to hit him back. You know what I mean? See? If possible, so far as it depends on you. What is your input? A lot of bad stuff happening that you don't have any control of. But you don't want to be the bad stuff because of you. So if possible, as far as it depends on you. Why would you hit him? 
hit me first. No, you hitting him the second time depended on you, you know? It's, anyway, making fun. So look here. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know why? Because there are a lot of folks you can't live peaceably with, and it's not going to work out. They're not going to help, and it's going to be all sorts of confusion all the time. Just like the world we live in. But if possible, so much as it depends on you, you live at peace as much as you able in the situation. And you may not be able to live peaceably in that situation. And you have to draw, withdraw from that situation. Because it's not going to work. Well, Jesus will do it no matter what. No, he won't. He won't. Because you're supposed to step back from that situation. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's really, really insightful. Now, this is the one I love that certain, and I've really, and I want to tell you up front, I have actually heard people speak on this, and they will separate this last section out because it seems to them to take away from what Paul previously said. But to me, it makes all the sense in the world, and it really helps me to do what I'm supposed to do. It helps. So this is me personally, and you can read it how you want to. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never. Now, right off the bat, I got so many problems with that. I mean... Who's going to get them if I don't get them? I mean, I'm telling you, they're getting away with murder, and if I don't tell them, you know? I, mean, I remember my father telling me. And it, it, as you know, way back, you know, when I was a kid, I used to ride horses, live in a ranch, and stuff like that. And as a kid, picked on me. And it, I mean, just a little kid. And we all could ride fairly well. I mean, it just that's just the way we were raised. And my dad told me, he said, this is what you do. Now, I swear, this, this is what he said, listen, this is what you do. This is what I do, daddy. <laughs> he said, you're going out so-and-so, and the ground's real soft. And he said, going out, and you just lope along. You just lope along beside him, and you just jump off the side of your horse and grab him, and both of you flip on the other side. He said, he'll never bother you again. Right, amen, brother. I mean, avenging yourself ain't that bad all the time, you know. It's a, especially when, but I mean, that's what he told me. And the kid never bothered me again, you know. I mean, he didn't, you know, because he thought I was flat crazy. I mean, you can't, I mean, he could never draw, he never saw that. Oh, by the way, he was bigger than me. But he didn't know. I mean, I'd come, I'd just jump off my horse again. I mean, hit the ground, you know. So, anyway. so there's certain things I had to unlearn when, I can't even know Jesus. Um, but so what it says right here is don't do that. I mean, it's just saying don't do that. Never avenge yourselves. But here's what he says afterwards. And this is really when it comes to the debate, is God real? I response. Does God work in our lives today? He does. And if we obey God, he will work in a more powerful way. Amen. See? And I didn't give God any chance to work with that kid on that other horse. You know, I did not. And so, um, 
But I want you to look at what it says here because it really, it really is helpful for me to understand the dynamic of the spiritual world. Because it says this, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but, here's the contrast, and that word's in there, but, it's a contrast, it means contrast, no, it's not added. Never avenge yourself, but, leave it to the wrath of God. Whoa. I mean, like, whoa. Now, people say, well, that God wouldn't do it. No, he, he will do it. He just said he did it. It just said he will do it. But no, that's not the way God works. It just said this is the way God works. He's going to do it. But to, for him to do it, you've got to leave him alone. You've got to quit swinging at him. You've got to leave him, and God will do it. But you've got to step back and allow God to do what God's going to do. So, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now, for it is written. I mean, he's writing God's word, and then he quotes, for it is written. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, you don't have to be a big theologian to interpret this. I mean, this doesn't take a lot of Bible study to study this. You know, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Well, they're getting away with it. No, they're not. They're getting away with it. You step back, and they're getting away with it. No, they're not. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No one gets away with anything. We give it to God. And that's our trust. That's our belief. And that's how we walk. As much as it depends on us, we have peace. But sometimes you're not going to have peace because then you step back. You allow God to do what God's does. Don't you take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You step back. You believe in me and trust in me. And you do what I tell you. And you'll see all sorts of things happening all around you. All God's people say, amen. No one gets away with anything. How many of you have heard of J. Vernon McGee? I mean, he's been dead 30 years. I mean, not that you would have to know some Big-time old Bibles during the Depression. Bible scholar. Used to listen to him on the radio all the time. And he said this. And he's in 80s, upper 80s. And he spoke on this. He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he said this. He said, I've been in church ministry 60 years. And he's, I've seen so much deception. And he's, I've seen Christians do things that they shouldn't do. And it's just like, God, what are you doing? And he now, he says, after being in the ministry 60 years and looking back on it, God took care of every single one of them. And I thought, whoa. You know, I mean, okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to live a little bit live a little bit, see it happens. Now, I personally can say that, and just in general things, two or three things that I thought were horrendous, people got away with in the church, you know, and sometimes I handled it. Well, sometimes I didn't, but like that. But you look back, the ones I'm thinking of, the Lord dealt with them. And they're not, they weren't even, they're not even local area. Not even local, I mean, they moved to all over the place. Yeah, God don't care where you move. 
You know, he's like, oh, I, I did this. I'm going to go, you know, Richmond. God will go to Richmond with you. You see what I'm saying? But now the reason I say that, uh, I had a friend, and I love him. I mentioned I would love this guy. I mean, I love this guy. He loved the Lord, but he's a little harsh. And he says, you, don't, you do that, God will bust you. You but and that's what the word he used was but he'll bust you. And he'd say, if I do that, Lord will bust me. You know, and it's like, all right, you know, I I just like you know, we talk. He didn't move our furniture, he but he, that's why he, he he would bust you. This is not what the Lord's talking about. We don't somebody do to us, okay, Lord will bust them. No, we're to have a loving, kind attitude to that person and release that person. For God to do what God does, and God does it best. Knowing full, well, he's not going to, he or she's not going to get away with anything from the Lord. We don't have a stinking attitude. Love, <laughs> love is kind and patient. That's how we're, we're kind and patient, see. But the truth of it is, nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody's getting anything, anything. I read, I don't know if Carlos remember, and, um, R.T. Kendall in our book, last time or the time before that. And I underlined it, that R.T. Kendall, this is what he said. And he said, never forget, vindication is what the Lord does best. He doesn't want our help. That's what R.T. Kendall said. I mean, that's what J. Vernon McGee said. He does a good job of this. He's going to do it right. You think these people have blasphemed me and made a mockery of me? They're getting away with it? And, I, you know, I'm talking about folks in the church. Okay, we're trying to judge the whole world. No, I'm talking about in the church. He said, you're not going to get away. I'm not going to let you get away with that because I can't. I can't. And, and I, if you would just cooperate with me and not make the problem worse than it is and just step back because you're just as peaceful as you can, but you step back, I'll take care of it. And J. Vernon Vincent says, every problem I ever saw was taken care of at 80. And R.T. Kendall, who's 87, you know, he's saying, hey, God's good at this. That's his job. He doesn't want your help. Now, reason I bring this up, reason I bring this up, because that really helps me to release things. It really does. Okay, call it my own sin, my own weakness. All right, you be peaceable, loving, and kind. Okay, I'm peaceable, loving, and kind. Oh, you're going to get it. Now, you you got to say, I love you, and I want the best for you, but I know that no one's getting away with anything. And so I don't feel the responsibility on myself to do anything, even when personally insulted. No, no, Lord, take care of me. It helps me. Now, so now here we go. Now, I want to close out right here. Is The Lord does something here which I found interesting because it says the next thing, the next line, the finishing verse of these here, of what we're looking at, First Thessalonians. And it says, you know, do, don't repay evil with evil. But it says this. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So our job is to seek to do good. Can't live peaceful ever. But we seek, to, we try to, you know. Sometimes we can't. 
But what struck me about this and really caused me uh, pause, it says, but always seek to, go, seek to do good to one another. Why isn't there a period there? Why isn't there a period there? There's not. Do good to one another and everyone. Well, I mean, one another covers everyone. But there's a reason that everyone is there. Because we're just talking about the people we're dealing with and certain things. He goes, no, no. To every mean, one means to every kind and variety. See, this expands this whole conversation to the responsibility to all Christians because at one time or another, this is going to surprise you, because at one time or another, someone in the body is <laughs> going to provoke you. Sometime or another, someone in the body is just going to irritate you to death. And he's talking about all those folks too. <laughs> he says, no, I'm talking about everybody. They're specific, but you got to be ready to every, every variety to come in and release and turn them to me. But you do good. You do good. And, and sometimes it's unintentional, and it's sometimes you can't believe it's on purpose. It's on purpose. It says, no, you do good. You do good. It's that every kind and variety of people that comes across your path. Now, this closing, I'll wrap up with two verses here that is really helpful. What God is teaching us, see, God, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit, He disciplines us, He admonishes us, He speaks to us, He guides all of us. So He's at work in our life. All He's teaching us to understand how He works and wants us to cooperate with what He's doing so He can grow His body together because He knows we're people. He knows. He, he, and he, so he's trying to communicate that to us. And then what he says, man, how many of you like somebody irritated? Yeah, I know what God said, but, but you didn't see what they said. You, you didn't see. What, well, I know, but you didn't see how they acted. They need me. Show them some account. Tell a few other people, too that they need to. See, I mean, we could talk ourselves into that easy, easy. And what the Bible says, Jesus didn't operate that way. And he, you know, Jesus had a great relationship with God. <laughs> he just did, you know. And so he knew that God, his overview of working things, that in the end, God wins. In the end, God does exactly what he wants to. And so in the end, Jesus cooperated with God. Remember what Jesus said? I love this, what Jesus said. He said, I only do what the Father tells me. Really? <laughs> well, what is he telling? You only need to do what the Father tells you. Vengeance is mine. Never take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. Okay. So, like that. So, Jesus is the foundation of our behavior. And this is how we came to know Christ. It, look at Romans 5, verse 8. Jesus poured out grace upon us, and as his disciples, we are to pour out grace upon others, not evil for evil. 
It says in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love to us in that while we were still sinners, pause, wait a minute, when did God show his love to us? Everybody said, I'm not moving until everybody says it. We're sinners. He showed his love to us. I showed up. Oh, Wally, good to have you on my team. Me and you evangelized the world. No, it's like, no. You didn't deserve anything of me. You didn't deserve anything of heaven. The only, deserve, the only thing you had coming to you was hell, death, and the grave. You know, I loved you. Love. You know, hey, start out the book of First Thessalonians. God loves you. You're chosen. See? He said, wow. <laughs> so God chose his love for us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for me because I was good. He died for me because I was bad. While I was still bad and had no hope whatsoever of being that's when he died for me. And then he says this. Therefore, we show grace like Jesus shows grace. And here's a closing verse. Therefore, because he died for us while we were still sinners. Now listen, I want you to grab the depths of this. Ephesians 4.32. Have one over here. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Is God in Christ? What? <laughs> what is this nonsense? Why do I forgive? I mean, people hurt my feet. People have been nasty. People, no, they deserve a little vindication. You know, I mean, it's fun. You knock a guy off a horse one time, you can kind of get some little, you know, flex some muscles there, you know, and try that again. God goes, hey, you just, you're the reason Christ died. <laughs> yeah, just, and by the way, my father accepted Christ at 80. So pray, hallelujah, you know, we all both had a long way to go. But look here, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? I'm going to make you answer that. Answer that. Why? Why would you do any of this? Why would you even try? Why would you turn to, why? I would say it out loud. Because Christ forgave you, you, me. That's why we do it. We do, I mean, we don't earn anything. Oh, you know, I was always looking for gold stars. You know, I get, oh, look at Willis did. Then I have my closet, but gold star. No, the, the only thing is I do anything is because Christ forgave me. Any reason I'd love one another because Christ forgave me. Be tender because Christ forgave me. I'd forgive only somebody just because Christ forgave me. That's the motivation for everything. We have nothing else to offer. And even when God says that he will avenge, for him to avenge, he says, Wallace, you're in the way. Get out of the way. I'll avenge, but get out of the way. I mean, I can't get anybody, you know, because you get out of the way. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? I mean, that is so powerful. But that's the motivation. And we don't, yeah, I think everybody agrees. Well, I shouldn't. 
have to say a little. I think I just think the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, I, I said, oh my God. But you know what? We don't have anything to worry about. Not one other. God says, you love because Christ loved you. Period. Period. And he goes, I'll take care of the rest. Hallelujah. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love and goodness. Lord, we just uh, praise your name. And, you know, I think you're telling us, you know, so just to give you a chance to work. The Bible's fuller. It says, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. But it's really, when we wait on the Lord, we're just giving God the opportunity to work. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for love. We thank you that you paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. We thank you that we are forgiven. Lord, it's incomprehensible in all our weaknesses. But you died for us. You died for us. So, Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. And, God, I pray just a protection on everybody here and be an encouragement to them. Really speak to them. Protect them everything of their life. Reveal yourself to them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.